0: to Very Amusing, your one-stop shop for the stories, secrets, and shenanigans of a popcorn-fueled theme park journalist. I'm Carly Wiesel, and I've been to space, baby! I've been to space without my feet leaving the ground, and it was wild. We have a lot to talk about as I have tons of thoughts and opinions to share. And frankly, we probably have a lot of new listeners this week who aren't as interested in my usual gab fest up top. So I'll keep it tight with two major updates before we get into all things Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. First up, I attended Disneyland's holiday festivities this past week, and it was really, really wonderful to be there. I was a bit hesitant considering how much I think about representation in theme parks these days leading up to Shrek's Ember, Our month-long dedication to theme parks is only legitimately popular in-park character who's arguably Jewish, Shrek. But I had a great time. Disneyland Resort, I think, takes the crown when it comes to Jewish representation during the holiday season, even if that godforsaken merchandise line of tea towels much like the miracle of Hanukkah itself will last for way 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 longer than anyone ever anticipated there were plenty of little non-store holiday that made me feel included which I outlined on my Instagram at Carly Weisel, this week if you want to check that out but all in all I had a wonderful time and secondly Oprah just tweeted at me yeah, sure, whatever, it's not theme park news, and I'd usually leave details like that, or how I'm still sucking down about six episodes of Law & Order SVU a day. I'm obsessed with Carisi and Rollins, oh my god. Or how I started listening to Phoebe Bridgers and I don't hate it, even though it's sleepy. But yes, Oprah, the... Oprah tweeted at me! Long story short, it's so weird. My fantastic sister-in-law co-runs a fashion line who dressed Oprah for the Adele special this past weekend. And I tweeted about it, but didn't even tag! Our goddess herself, Oprah! And she somehow found my tweet and tweeted back and said how much she loves their clothes? As a Chicagoan, I gotta say, it's pretty hard to wrap my head around it, but it was absolutely glorious. Sorry to the, uh... Palpatine stands? I don't know. We've had to listen to all of that before we get into the good stuff. But with those life updates out of the way, we are free and clear to get into it when it comes to Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. I can't believe they let me flop around the great ship Halcyon for the sole purpose of telling you, yes, you, all about it, which I am so excited to do. I mean, I did lightsaber training and now I get to yell at you about it? How cool, right? So stick around. So much is coming up on this episode. I cannot wait to share it with you. So please get amped for our very special episode dedicated to all things Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser.
1: Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music?
0: A long time ago, last week, in a galaxy far, far away in Florida, I stepped foot inside Disney's latest and greatest project, Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. Yes, the title of this episode and everything I have subsequently yelled at you is true. I've been to space, I ate some purple cookies, I hung out with Chewbacca, and floated back down to Earth with the sole purpose of telling you all about it. If you're listening to this like, ma'am, I thought we were internet podcast audio friends and you're out here keeping secrets from me? I know, I know, I am very sorry. Part of the reason we took those two weeks off is because I secretly snuck off to Florida to spend a day inside Disney's most ambitious project to date. And while I don't like to sneak around on y'all, I had to. But now you get to reap the benefits from it, I promise. Before we do that, though, let's talk spoilers. I know y'all will be worried, I would be too, and I'm here to lay it out plainly. This episode will be packed with details from aboard Galactic Star Cruiser, but I've planned it in a way where it's essentially spoiler-free. Everything I'll be reporting on has, in one sense or another, already been announced. I'm just providing a deeper level of detail and information on what I've experienced firsthand. I'll be describing spaces, providing never-before-heard details, giving you a peek at what all that interactive storytelling you've heard about will actually be like, and sharing my opinions every step of the way. But the point of this episode is to enhance, not take away from or spoil your future journey aboard this ship. So if you are concerned, know from the top that you should feel free to proceed with listening. Sadly, though, if you're looking for some slideshows and videos to peek inside this spacecraft yourself, these are not the pieces of content you are looking for, because frankly, uh, they don't exist. We weren't allowed to shoot anything, film a thing, and weren't really given it too many new images to share, which I gotta tell you, is pretty perfect for us. <laughs> because yelling everything about this Star Wars experience you gotta know directly into your earbuds with no images just so happens to be what we do best. Galactic Star Cruiser's design and details are burned into my brain, and me and my notepad full of scribbles are going to take you on an audio journey through all of it. The interactivity, the gameplay, the cabins, the characters, the top books, and even the food. So get excited. Strap on your Resistance Utility jumpsuit, grab a ration pack, and prepare for the jump to hyperspace because this is your first look at Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser right here. On Very Amusing. We begin with someone who is essentially the Yoda of this experience. Anne Morrow Johnson, executive producer and creative director at Walt Disney Imagineering, knows this place inside and out because she helped create it. I thought there was no better person to set the scene about where we are, when we are, and what exactly we should plan to do aboard Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser, so she graciously stopped by to brief all of us on our potential future in space travel aboard the Halcyon. Anne Morrow Johnson, thank you so much for coming on Very Amusing. Thanks so much for having me. Proud to be here. Oh, please. It's an honor to have you. I'd love if you could just share the backstory of this ship and the
2: experience as a whole. Absolutely. So Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser is a first of its kind experience where guests get to spend two days and two nights living out a Star Wars story. So think of it as coming aboard the Halcyon and living out your Star Wars adventure over the course of a couple of days.
0: And can you explain where Galactic Star Cruiser fits within the greater Star Wars cinematic universe?
2: Yeah, so Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser um, is really centered around its own character, which is the Halcyon, which is a luxury starliner that cruises throughout the galaxy. She's a storied ship, she's been around for a good long while, but our story um, takes place right in the kind of thrust of the kerfuffle between Rey and Kylo, and our guests get wrapped up in the middle of the action between the Resistance and the First Order, along with some sort of horse and underworld storylines.
0: While on board, guests will have the opportunity to visit Batuu, the location of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge theme park at Disney's Hollywood Studios. What will that visit be like for guests who are aboard Galactic Star Cruiser who may have visited before?
2: So, a visit to the two as part of Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser is a unique experience because, you know, if you think of this as a two day story that our guests are being able to live out, they've spent their entire first day of their journey getting to know characters on board, all of whom, spoiler alert, need your help, right? So, whether there's a member of the Resistance who wants you to go on a Resistance men- mission or whether the First Order wants you to suss out what might be going on down there that's, you know, a little suspicious. We're giving you story reasons to explore Black Spire Outposts, so that means there are exclusive scavenger hunts that you get to go on that continue your storyline. We're of course giving you access to each of the attractions, Rise of the Resistance and Millennium Falcon Smugglers Run, but we're giving you story reasons to do those. So whatever happens during those attractions, whether you, you know, wind up in the wrong side of a Star Destroyer or stealing some coaxium, those stories actually play out once you're back on board the ship as part of your larger Star Wars story.
0: And- Even though I only spent a few hours there, being inside really felt like everything was heightened. Time just moves so differently aboard the Halcyon. How have you utilized design to reinforce the idea that, yes, you are in space and you are in the world of Star Wars?
2: So, everything that has gone into the design of the ship and the overall experience, whether that is kind of the physical spaceship that you're inside of, the galaxy far, far away that you're seeing out all of the windows, the, you know, characters that you meet on board, the ways that you can interface with them. And even like, you know, the food that you're eating is all reinforcing this idea of being in a galaxy far, far away and giving you, you know, reasons to believe that you are taking your place in the galaxy.
0: And the food. Oh my God. I'm going to get into it later in the episode, but the food was so good. Oh, it was amazing. Um, we've discussed a lot about how this narrative storytelling aboard the ship will follow you through your two-night journey. Do you also get the feeling that people will leave this experience
2: somewhat changed? You know, I think it's it's really interesting. Something we've talked a lot about is you know, what guests put into this experience. I think it'll be really interesting to see what they then take away, right? I think that one of the things that we hope is we're giving you permission to play, right? We're giving you permission to kind of take your place in the galaxy, see what roles you want to play out, who you want to help, and, you know, kind of what scenes you will see, what actions you will take part of, and then ultimately how your choices affect your story and the broader kind of galactic story as you leave. I mean, I certainly hope that you give it your all and have the opportunity to kind of reflect on what that means for you on the way out.
0: I learned a lot about myself in just a short few hours. I learned I'm very competitive and apparently lean towards the First Order, which did not predict.
2: It's <laughs> good to learn, to explore these inner workings of tendencies. It's good.
0: I know. I don't know what two straight nights of me uh, sympathizing with the First Order will look like, but I can't wait to see what kind of monster I turn into. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, I loved it. Uh, thank you so much for sitting down with me. I appreciate it.
2: Absolutely. Thank you so much for
0: having me. I toured the ship, saw all its spaces, and participated in some interactive games, and I'm going to tell you all about it. We'll start with a full walkthrough of the ship, followed by my thoughts on the hours of activities we participated in and the food we tasted, before wrapping it up with things I was both wowed by and those I still have some hesitation about. We're going to get very real on this week's episode, especially closer to the end, because as much as the powers that be prefer I don't say it outright, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't acknowledge the elephant in the room that is the price this experience is costly that's not an opinion it's a fact and even for people who desperately want to go the ambiguity stemming from a never-before-seen entirely new type of vacation can make it that much more complicated to justify the booking or even decide if it's right for you and your family and i get it it's not an attraction a ride a theme park amusement a hotel or a cruise but kind of all of that kind of none of that, and still so much more. So my job this week is to give you a better grasp of what Star Cruiser even is. So I'm taking you along with me on a tour of the ship and its many activities. This thing has been shrouded in secrecy until right now. So hopefully you can enjoy this very special peek beyond the airlock doors and enjoy it as much as I did. And with that, let's go check into our two-night all-inclusive stay on Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. Upon arrival, you'll pull up to a private cruise terminal to check in and hand over your bags, which will be brought directly to your room. All cars are valeted, which is a nice touch and allows you to jump right into the experience. The space is intentionally built to feel like you're not in Star Wars quite yet. Words they used were earthy and gritty, but it's essentially a concrete bunker to prepare you for your launch to space. From here, you'll proceed down a jagged concrete hallway to an arrival space where I believe you will be briefed on the upcoming journey before heading towards the cosmos. Personally, I don't know how I yet feel about this introductory moment. I was expecting something more sleek, maybe metallic and glass to welcome guests on a luxury cruise liner trip to space. But considering we walked through and didn't experience it in actuality, I'm going to reserve any of those judgments for later. Following that orientation, passengers will board a launch pod to reach Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser itself. Now, we only peeked inside this launch pod, which is in essence a tricked down elevator with windows out onto space that will show you blast through hyperspace, soar towards the Halcyon, and see yourself connect up to it. If I had to guess, because, again, we did not step foot inside this particular space, and that's truly all I know about it, I'd liken it to the entrance experience of Space 220 Restaurant over at Epcot, but probably kicked up a few notches for a very special introductory moment. What's cool, though, is that once those launch pod doors slide open, you'll be right in the atrium of the Halcyon. And from the way it's positioned, that is going to be one heck of an opening moment. To your left, slightly sectioned off, you will see the bridge, responsible for the safety and movement of the ship, with its massive window out onto space, the ship's biggest. And just for clarity here, because I know we're going to get a little heady with the story, when we say window, we mean screen. But we're not going to call it a screen because, for all intents and purposes, it's a window out into space. Come on, we're here. We got to play the game. You know what I mean? Live a little. Pretend you're there. Be a part of your Star Wars journey. On your right, you will see an expansive lobby filled with crimson velvet upholstered benches. You'll enter on Earth and truly emerge into this otherworldly space packed with passengers, crew members, and very likely a droid. More information on that later. It's interesting because the size of the space immediately puts you somewhere different. There's also this low hum or whirring that fools your brain into thinking you are really in space. Something I assume becomes more and more real the longer you stay aboard. There are two cylindrical tubes on each side with these kind of hologram-like projections, but everything in design is very circular, as seen throughout the Star Wars universe. Entryways are arched, airlock doors abound, and details are also dimensional, with grooves reinforcing the idea that, yeah, you're in a spaceship, In other words, you know how a Hershey's chocolate bar has those indents between each square to segment itself from just being a big old piece of chocolate? There's some of that (laughs) in the ship's design. I mean, there's not chocolate. There's just grooves. It's a horrible comparison. But hey, I'm not an off-planet interior design expert. I'm just out here doing my best comparing things to things I know very well. Chocolate. Now, within this atrium, you're really in the heart of the ship. From here, you can turn left and enter the Sublight Lounge, a.k.a. Star Cruiser's onboard bar. Inside, it feels like a minimalist, refined version of Oga's Cantina. Behind the bar, colorful liquids bubble within vessels, which likely house other consumable beverages, with some showing different effects like liquids being all gooey like lava lamps or one even swirling like a small cyclone plan to grab a seat at the tufted benches within their own personal alcoves and plop your drink down on black tables with illuminated tortoise elements. I'm now realizing I sound like I'm doing an in-universe ad for the bar, and frankly, I don't mind it considering that's probably where I'll be spending a big ol' chunk of my time. We saw but did not play the holo table within the space. And if you've been curious about how it works, I did happen to catch a glimpse at the panel of buttons on the way out, which I would compare closely to something like video poker. So it should be quite cool. Also accessible from the main atrium is the boutique slash gift shop just across the way. This seems like a good time to emphasize that uh, Galactic Star Cruiser is not going to be the kind of experience you want to wear a loose Skywalker t-shirt and jeans for, so thankfully it will be stocked with items for when you inevitably find yourself just fully going for it. Before I toured the ship, I thought, Meh. I'll pack one outfit that's Star Warsy, maybe two, but I've since learned that the assignment is galactic chic, which makes dressing up in essentially the outer rim version of a gussied up Snuggie finally possible. What a dream! Seriously, it is caftan o'clock aboard the good ship Halcyon, because if you were concerned about having to wear a costume costume, good news is you can fully rock robes the whole time. There are plenty of outfits for adults and children, including a kid's version of the captain's uniform. But the big draw is what they're calling their galactic black dress. It's this wholly customizable garment that can be worn with a cowl neck, a hood, little shoulder clips that double as embellishments. Essentially, it's classy. It's cool. And don't be surprised if the next cocktail party you attend back home has you looking like Laura Dern in The Last Jedi with all that cowl neck drapey goodness. There are some other outfits inspired by Amadalva's clothes and a very cool kind of gray patterned cloak, which there are actually photos for. I'll post them online. But the big item you'll surely find yourself splurging on, the banshee or rose gold ears of this experience, one might say, are the headpieces. You can wear them with two long headtails or tendril appendages known as leiku, either long and dangling in the likeness of Twilix, or shorter in face framing like that of the Tagruda. Shout out to Ashley Eckstein, who was one of the few folks I toured the ship with, because seeing her, the voice of and true embodiment of the spirit of Ahsoka Tano, see these on shelf for sale was so delightful. Truly one of the highlights of the day to be in a Star Wars environment with someone like that. Oh, it was so special. Other items for sale will include cool minimalist jewelry and a line of in-story souvenirs and clothing touting Chandra La Starline, the luxury travel outfitter behind Galactic Star Cruiser. But I'm going to go out on a limb here and mention that I also get the sneaking suspicion there will be some sort of a makeup application situation somewhere. Now, there's no word on a bibbity-bobbity boutique in space or anything like that. But answers were a bit cagey as to how folks could get their entire face painted to live as a different species while aboard. So, uh, prayers for the housekeeping team on this resort who hopefully have a contingency plan to bleach all that blue out of the towels. The ship itself has four functional decks, and from there, we took the stairs down to an impressive cabin hallway that just seemingly went on forever. It's here that I realized there's really something unique about moving between the locations on this Star Cruiser. You're indoors, you're not moving, and you're not aided by the presence of a window portal, but still, even in a corridor, it feels very cruise like to move between these spaces. Galactic Star Cruisers' cabins, or in plain speak, hotel rooms, are located on a few different floors. But this was one of the things I was most excited to share with you, because we actually got to step inside a room, and they feel so cool in person. The interiors are impeccably done. The window out into the galaxy looked great, which, if you remember from our interview with Sarah Thatcher in the Disney World 50th anniversary episode, it'll reflect whatever is happening up on the bridge in your own room. That is, unless you opt to cover it with a window shade at nighttime, a delight Delightfully tactile addition. In lieu of a desk, a small table can be pulled out beneath, as well as two small stools. And while the rooms aren't that roomy, specifically in reference to the space between the standalone bed and those built-in bunk beds, they more importantly sell the theming, which to me is preferred. We also had about 12 or 13 people in there during our tour, and it was fine, so take that as you will. We may have only spent about two to three minutes in that room, but never fear, I still got myself up into the top bunk. Yep, me in a tight pair of jeans, frightened I'd rip them open and expose my butt to a hotel room full of journalists, climbed the ladder to the top bunk, and it was heaven. It was heaven! It was heaven. If you're worried about adults fitting inside, just know that a six-foot-tall reporter who was with us got inside the lower bunk comfortably and easily. The mattresses in there are a bit thinner, but it's worth it to feel like you're sleeping in a little space capsule of your own. Sitting in that top bunk wasn't the first time I felt transported or otherworldly during our time aboard. I wish we had more time to explore on our own, but I even spotted two buttons on the doorframe as we exited the room, I think perhaps maybe indicating a housekeeping request by way of a droid symbol, which is uh, delightful. Those small touches were so smart and seen throughout the ship, with my favorite example probably being a sign on the back of the restroom stall in Arabesh. No English translation, just Arabesh, confirming the native language of this one-of-a-kind location. Other spaces on the ship include a climate simulator that mimics the weather on Batuu, aka a small corner of the ship with access to fresh Floridian air for if it's all too much. The transport dock for when you take your journey into Disney's Hollywood Studios, and an engineering room which shows its purpose further on into the experience's narrative. But perhaps I've buried the lead here because we got to experience lightsaber training aboard the ship. Not yet in its final form, we were given a pretty rudimentary look at what happens, kind of like if Savi's workshop, where you build custom lightsabers at Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, took away the show elements or effects. It was clearly holding back on some of that magic, so it's tricky to give a full opinion. But I won't lie, I did not walk away loving it. Which concerns me, because I know this is one of the core experiences people are looking forward to aboard the Halcyon. We rotated groups of four facing what my rudimentary Star Wars knowledge would call a training remote, which here pops onto the wall and doesn't float freely like in the films. In multiple rounds of training that increased in speed and difficulty, our group rotated between wielding lightsabers as well as larger shields, which are going to be perfect for kids who may struggle with the accuracy of a saber since it's open to guests age seven and up. In order to not spoil the experience for future attendees and listeners, I will hold back on specifics, but we began our training by aligning our lightsaber up with a point of light in various directions, and then graduated to target practice by way of channeling the force with plenty of hints along the way. The further we progressed, the more real it felt, transitioning from using the saber to find the blast to letting the blast find you. The lightsaber you'll use functions similarly to those sold in Galaxy's Edge, the really good ones, but embrace yourself for this. It is not the version of lightsaber we've all been drooling over from those many promotional videos that have been shared online. You know that wildly impressive saber whose blade actually comes out of its hilt that was first introduced by Josh Damaro and later seen online held by Rey? The one we've all been dying to witness in real life that really, truly looks like Star Wars? We didn't get to see it on this trip and we didn't get to touch it either because lightsaber training aboard the Halcyon will use a more standard lightsaber. It sounds like that super special one that belongs to Rey will stay with Rey, meaning we're unlikely to be able to play around with it ourselves while on board, even if we do get to see it. And. This is where we start to get into the pickle of it all, that I'm tasked with evaluating experiences to you that are not completely done and that I myself have not completely seen. With an attraction, it's pretty doable, but with a somewhat intangible experience rooted in decades of films that despite your age you have nostalgia for… It is not easy. So while I don't want to write off lightsaber training entirely, I do think it's worth noting at this state in the game that you may want to adjust your expectations accordingly. On the other hand, there was one experience aboard the ship that I didn't anticipate would blow me away and did. The food! They're billing this as a luxury high-end experience in space, and the culinary program is no joke. Dishes are colorful, flavorful, and indeed take some risks, doing its part to help fool your brain into thinking you're more than just about a mile away from a land of Mickey pretzels. All meals will be served in the Crown of Corellia dining room with its iridescent chandeliers and roomy booths. Dinner will be served in more of a family-style format to the table, with breakfast and lunch served as a buffet. Now before you freak out, it won't be in a gross hotel, scrambled eggs kind of way. Everything is individually plated and done so quite beautifully, allowing you to essentially make your dream tray of perfectly composed bites. We sampled some of the launch offerings and Y'all, this could very well be Disney World's best restaurant. I was absolutely floored, floored by the quality, execution, and theming of the small plates we tried to the point where it is already going to be a known problem to peel myself away from this menu. Dishes oscillate between straightforward, like a salad of couscous, romanesco, a kind of broccoli, and champagne vinaigrette, to as Star wars as it gets, with a purple-colored ube potato bread served with Bantha blue milk butter. Yeah, butter made from the fruit flavors of the blue milk and Galaxy's Edge. This place is going for it. For kids, there's a bubble waffle that hides a secret. The secret is essentially a one bite grilled cheese served with dunkable creamy tomato sauce. And for bigger kids, buckle up because I had one of the best bites I've ever had at Disney World. It was a shoe pastry, essentially a delicious little bread ball filled with curried chicken salad. Yes, a portable. Sandwich ball. Not only was it perfectly flavored, but it felt truly like their version of a Star Wars ration, something you'd toss into your satchel and eat later on in your journey. These things were impeccable, both in taste and storytelling, and I cannot recommend them enough. I will be sneaking them out of there in a napkin. Just be warned. If you're seafood averse don't worry, you don't have to eat it, but I had a fabulous kind of space ceviche and one of the best pieces of salmon I've ever had in my life at this tasting. I'm pretty sure it was brined, similar to the kind of fish you'd be served with a Japanese-style breakfast, and it was topped with a thin piece of seaweed and served with bonito flakes that shrivel up on the plate, which naturally in this setting is interpreted as being a little more galactic than usual. We sadly did not get to try the blue shrimp, but we did sample dessert, a matcha yuzu lemon cheesecake bite. I'm so thankful they set up the meals this way because it means you can try everything and still go back for seconds. An ideal setup. I did not, however, love the two specialty beverages we tasted, both of which would be available for purchase aboard at an extra fee. A fruitier, non-alcoholic beverage served with a unique-looking dried pineapple ring reminded me of a kiwi-strawberry-electrolyte sports drink, not great, while the cocktail we tasted, a blue-colored daiquiri perhaps, was topped with a cool candied-sugar design but could use some tweaking to be more balanced. I speak so vaguely because this portion of the visit was very top level. Despite my trying, I don't have names of dishes, ingredients, flavor profiles, nothing. I mean, when I asked for further clarification about that first beverage, I was told it was made of fresh-squeezed muja fruit, which isn't real. So you can imagine how fun it is to report on facts when everything is set in the wider world of a make-believe space opera. I know specifically when it comes to food, people have loads and loads of follow-up questions, which you know me, I will always get answered for you. But this was not that trip. Rest assured, if I'm ever allowed back on board, I will get you and your family every detail you need. And if your fear right now is that you or your kids are picky eaters, they will have something for you, either on the menu or off. So don't let that affect your future plans. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and once we're back, we're getting into the big stuff, the real entertainment, the characters, the gameplay, and what it was like to be a participant in the drama heretofore only seen within a galaxy far, far away. Okay, you know that feeling that everyone knows something that you don't? For me, that used to be Quint's. But no more. Quince is a truly astounding retailer, essentially carrying everything a person on your mood board would wear. We're talking washable silk blouses, chic leather bags, 14 karat gold jewelry, European linen dresses. And the best part of all is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They're up here with $50 Mongolian cashmere sweaters. $50! Beautiful, timeless items you can wear and actually live in. Meaning you don't have to be scared to bring them on your theme park travels. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And if you're sensitive to retailers like I am, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. But it's not just your everyday work-life clothes. They have everything. I recently joined a new gym, big deal for me, and desperately needed new workout clothes to wear there. It's kind of like an LA gym, it's like it kind of got to look cute. So I ordered a pair of their Ultraform bike shorts and high-rise pocket leggings, and when I tell you, the quality of these leggings is truly on par with brands I paid three times as much for, which really kind of makes me love these three times more. I'm not only going to buy them again, but actually buy the other travel stuff in my cart because they have things like beautiful pastel suitcases for 129 bucks and these wildly affordable compression packing cubes that I have been waiting forever to buy compression packing cubes and they're always so pricey And here the price fits. So if you want to get ready for work, your new gym, travel, anything in your life, go to Quince. Quince.com slash amusing will get you free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Ooh, that's nice for someone who puts stuff off like I do. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E.com slash amusing to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash amusing. Now that we've familiarized ourselves with Star Wars Galactic Starcruiser, let's get into the good stuff. The big sell of this ship is its immersive gameplay, a narrative that follows you throughout the journey. And while we haven't experienced that to its fullest extent yet, I can still sorta share a snippet of what it felt like. You are, as they say, part of the story. Sometimes that's using yourself as a human shield to help Chewbacca scurry out of the atrium as the First Order looks on. Other times, it involves learning how to protect, defend, and arm the ship during bridge training, an essential activity with stations mimicking retro arcade gameplay in order to practice tasks like grabbing objects outside the ship and blocking missiles. If I sound vague, it's because I got so wrapped up in the gameplay that I don't even remember the station names, which should really tell you something. I was there to report and yet was so focused On this work that I have no other words to offer about the four stations we rotated between. That's how into it I was. Still, so much of what sets this experience apart is intangible. Where it thrives is its immersion over time, something that cannot at all be replicated during a short press visit. I can tell you I had fun chit-chatting with characters in the atrium and immediately finding myself drawn towards the dark side, extremely unexpected, but I can only DREAM of how it'll feel to spend three days inside that moment, giving a wink and a nod to the First Order Lieutenant Harmon Croy whenever I pass him on the stairs or at breakfast, knowing that I'm secretly working for him. A sign of good things to come, though, is that I did see examples of this within our first few hours. Crew members and characters worked so hard to remember people's names near immediately and even called upon them later. Friend of the podcast, Amy Radcliffe, who discussed secrets of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge a couple months back, was personally called upon to helm the ship and throw us into hyperspace during a dramatic moment against a known enemy, wink wink, after proving her allegiance while we all mixed and mingled at the ship's welcome party earlier that day. There are a few characters who operate the Halcyon and therefore are embedded within all the activity aboard the ship. Activity that spills out into entertainment and gameplay and just simply saying hello to cruise director Lenka Mock when you pass her on a lower deck. An early favorite is Sammy the mechanic, a bumbling sweetheart who will certainly bond with all the kids aboard the ship as he leads them between sneaky resistance activities, and Captain Kivon, who leads us calmly when things are good and does her best to help us when they take a turn for the worst. We spent about three hours aboard playing different games and experiencing the ship in a way we might do as true guests, and the games are nothing if not accessible. It all skews a bit young, some for better and some for worse. The engineering room, for example, which I mentioned earlier, has these cool escape room-like qualities, and while we didn't use that space to its fullest extent in a true show scene while there, I still enjoyed solving the puzzles, but anticipate those activities are likely going to be best for younger kids and tweens who have a lot of energy to get out. The bridge, however, where most of the in-person gameplay will happen, was Excellent. Different consoles with knobs and buttons to twist, turn, and pull allowed for what seemed to be straightforward, perhaps simplistic gameplay, but it automatically adjusted to your difficulty level. That was a brilliant touch, making it equally fun for a group of friends or a parent who's there with their young child. They even brought out these unfinished boxes for kids to stand on and play, so they're already prepared to welcome guests of all ages. I was perhaps most shocked by my own response to it all. I am not a competitive person, but something about being there, staring out into space, being given a task with a real purpose, I lost myself in it. I don't know. I don't usually love games, but I was all in. Only there for an afternoon, I still saw myself behaving in ways I hadn't predicted. I know that steering a vehicle in real life is more complicated than matching switch patterns or doing target practice on a massive screen full of stars, but it still won me over completely. Part of what was so enjoyable aboard the Halcyon— and particularly with that experience, was that I wasn't on my phone for it, even while I was taking notes. I'm not sure how that'll play out in reality, as paying guests will surely be filming what's happening throughout their trip. Tactile activities like that, though, really focus you in, even if a lot of the storytelling on a personal level will be done through messaging on the Play Disney Parks app, which exists on your phone. All in all, Star is pretty great. It's not what we're used to, but I think you're gonna love it. Still, though, that doesn't mean it's a perfect experience. Again, we were given an abridged version of this day, but my main concern today is that for this thing to really take off, it needs to feel like you're truly off-planet. They've done it with design, they've accomplished it with food, but they really need to nail it by way of the ship's occupants. My key issue with Star Wars Galaxy's Edge theme park land, which has been echoed by many of fans is that there is next to no alien life on Batuu. What makes Star Wars Star Wars, beyond its literal backdrop, are the intergalactic species that move throughout these bustling spaces. And yet, You step into Galaxy's Edge on either coast, and there are no droids buzzing past, no colorful faces staring back at you. Save for the stars of the show, characters performing live or within attractions, it's a sea of humans, which takes away from all the other hard work put into creating such a layered, realistic space. And I want to emphasize that so much effort was put into that level of robust storytelling i've extensively reported on the backstories for every merchant operating a stall the proprietors of all those businesses on black spire outpost do you know who cookie strano tugs is because i do there are so many backstories there for the alien characters who we never actually get to see it's kind of bonkers save for doc ondar inside his den of antiquities they're all essentially ghosts permanently abandoning their posts while off getting supplies or whatnot. Yes, cast members in the park are tasked with using special lingo and taking on the roles themselves, but to keep it very real, they're not performers and they're not being paid as such. Thankfully, that will differ here. The crew aboard is packed with actors, characters playing out the story beats, who move through the atrium chit-chatting with guests and bringing them directly into this immersive theater-like experience, which is fantastic. But... With Star Cruiser set between Episode 8 and 9, the big famous characters we're likely to see on board, like Chewbacca, Rey, Stormtroopers, perhaps even Kylo Ren, aren't new. We've seen them in the lands and in the parks for quite some time. And while there is one new droid aboard, SK-620, another D-309 only appears on digital screens. At our playtest experience, we witnessed one who operated exactly like R2-D2, who many of us have had the pleasure of meeting before. With the encouragement to wear costumes and so many zillions of diehard fans, the audience for this is likely to look more of a part of the Star Wars universe than ever before, sure. But the burden of setting the scene can't rely on these paying customers. Again, it is too early to tell how this will play out, but I'm hoping it all comes together because there is so much potential for success here. If you've ever spoken to I don't know, Kylo Ren or a stormtrooper within the parks. You know how special and slightly exciting it can be. Slightly exciting. Scary exciting is more like it to instantly be part of that lore. Star Cruiser has the opportunity to provide that feeling not just for a few minutes, but for a few days. And I have no idea what that's like. Nobody does. And that's what will make this ship so extremely special. That cannot be replicated anywhere. It's so strange. When I was on board reporting, evaluating all of this through the lens of work, I was really overthinking it. But this bizarre thing keeps happening to me now that I'm home. I find myself missing it, wanting to go back very badly and do the entire experience to its fullest. I came in with very, very high expectations, some of which I must wait on to see if they're actually met. And in plenty of respects, I won't be able to evaluate this place at all until the final product is launched. But even still, I want to go on Galactic Star Cruiser more today than I did yesterday, and more yesterday than the day before that. The longer I go through my notes, think about the spaces we toured and what we did, the more I realize how bizarre it is that this even exists. I miss Galactic Star Cruiser like it's a city I can't easily visit, a place I eagerly hope to return to and spend more time exploring. I miss it like it's real. And at the end of the day, that's the big sell here. It didn't feel like a new theme park land or a new hotel or an offshoot of a Disney World experience. It felt different, yet familiar. It was otherworldly, but also intimate. And after this pandemic, the months and screens and distance and forcing oneself to log on to yet another hollow virtual meeting, the idea of a real life experience like this one quite literally ripped from the films and shows that live behind those screens and are here brought to life is nothing short of magic. To safely work as a team with friends and strangers alike, to play games with familiar goals, and just let loose flopping around and play in a universe that you have not yet fully been a part of at any age is so viscerally needed right now. I was someone else in there, someone I could have never anticipated being. I let loose even in a tech week version of the experience where plainclothed people were leading it and executives were watching on to see our reactions. It was not just a portal to a different universe, but one that allows us to experience life in a way that's so drastically different from these weird few years we've just had. I can't wait to spend two nights in that bubble of people enjoying themselves so openly with characters who make everything more fun. Working towards a common goal, enjoying unfamiliar tastes and sounds I've never heard before, and experiences that simply can't happen anywhere else. What we saw may have been a rough draft, but it resonated as real. My brain remembers it not like a press trip to Florida, but like a real afternoon in space. It's so real, even if it's not. And I, for one, cannot wait to go off-planet once again.
4: My name is Courtney. I'm calling because I'm just listening to the Robin Lopez episode, and I had to call in and say that um, actress Izzy Phillips credits uh, the hot Robin Hood box for her sexual awakening um on like her podcast and a few other places. So I don't think he's the only one. Um a lot of us think. Robin Hood is hot and and I've heard other celebrities say it. So just
0: trying to get trying to back him up a little bit. Love the pot. Hi, Courtney. Thank you for calling. Yes, I will publicly admit that I must take the L on this one when <laughs> Robin Lopez episode came out. First of all, after I interviewed him, I texted all of my Disney friends and was like, I'm in the right here, right? Like, people think Goofy is handsome and nobody's really into Robin Hood, correct? I was not correct. <laughs> I was very, very far from correct. Everyone agreed that Robin Hood is apparently hot. Again, I don't see it. He's a cartoon fox. Not my type. But nobody. I'm talking Goose egg. Like, absolutely nobody I spoke with saw the charm behind Goofy's eyes. And I'm telling you, I talked to reporters. I talked to influencers. I talked to just friends who love Disney. Nobody was with me. They were hanging me out to dry. So after that, once the episode came out, everyone agreed. Everyone agreed (laughs) that Robin Hood is the choice except for i believe bill farmer the voice of goofy who tweeted at me so you know it's me and goofy in a corner just forming our own club which i'm very cool with because again i think he's handsome i'm okay to admit it he's tall and he's fun and you know you're gonna have a good time robin hood i don't know he's apparently a socialist or he's into crime depending on how you look at it i haven't seen the film in a lot of years so i'm gonna have to rewatch it um in hopes of thinking he's hot, which is also kind of twisted, so I'm not really looking forward to that film experience, but I am going to listen to Busy's ep- episode of her podcast because I heard from a few people that she does indeed have a thing for Robin Hood, and apparently everyone... But me does. So uh, maybe I was watching too much Power Rangers. I'm not sure what was going on in my childhood. I'm sure next week we will have a phone call from my mother about it. So I'll be sure to play it then. But really, I I, I support all of you. I see that I was incorrect. I apologize for my transgressions. But I'm, I'm still a goofy gal through and through. Sorry. Sorry. Until Robin Hood has the jokes and the yuck yucks. I'm team goofy, baby. Team goofy. Hi Carly again just here to interject and let you know that I was a hundred percent right because my mom left a voicemail on the actual Robin Lopez episode don't even need to wait another week of her evaluating the different men in discussion and offering her own take so stick around till the end of the episode for that because wow uh everyone is in on it and nobody likes goofy hi carly it's kelly
4: um I was just watching some footage of the new Disney After Hours holiday party um of the parade specifically and after the princess float it looks like there are two um dancing teddy bears that look not exactly like but pretty close to Duffy and Shelley May. Does that mean that they are defeated Shelly Shelley May? Are they now in a parade in the park? Um, that might be worth the very high cost of admission to this party. Um, love the podcast, and I miss you, and I hope you're doing well. Um, hopefully you can solve this mystery. Thanks. Hi
0: Kelly, I raced to YouTube to see this video, which I'll put a link to in the comments and burst out laughing because it is uncanny valley in terms of teddy bears. So you are correct. There are two true teddy bears like Santa's workshop style toys teddy bears dancing their way down Main Street USA and Mickey's once upon a Christmas time parade at Disney very merriest after hours party at Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom. Whew! that's a lot of words. So let me just break that down in normal terms. This parade, which typically runs at Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party, a ticketed annual event in Florida, is now running at this year's version of that event, Disney Very Merriest After Hours. The parade is new in the sense that it's different from before. But unfortunately, my understanding of it is that it's more of an abridged version because it omits a few of the scenes that were previously in place. So that is the key difference between years prior. The full version of Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas Time Parade has been around for a bit, but I went back to a video of it from 2009, and it also had those pretty traditional teddy bears. They wore different outfits, but they were quite similar to the ones in this year's version. So I think the teddy bear mystery here is just some regular old bears. However, you are on the right path because Duffy did used to be in a Disney holiday parade. He was featured in the 2011 and 2012 version of a Christmas fantasy parade at Disneyland Resort. Thank you to whoever maintains that Wikipedia page sitting out in front of the first float in an adorable little Santa outfit. Now, he is replaced by a regular teddy bear. I don't know why. I don't know why they couldn't have just left Duffy there. Like, like uh, they're not going to sell merchandise of a regular teddy bear that's not a Disney character like Duffy. But alas, those are not my decisions, so I will stay out of it. So, in the end, you had great instincts. But I think rightfully so that all bears remind you of Duffy. And all bears should be Duffy. So, I am in full agreement with you there. Thanks so much for calling.
4: Hey, Carly, it's Jill. I'm Disney Girl Beauty on Instagram, and I was just calling because I'm super excited for Shrek round two, all of that good stuff for Hanukkah, Um, but I also wanted to let you know that while it's not technically in a theme park, um, Tim Burton's Corpse Bride is actually based off of Jewish folklore, so while it doesn't have any theme park incorporations, I thought it'd be cool just to give that little shout-out Um not Hanukkah-related, but we could try to sneak it in there just as much as Shrek, maybe. Um, So, yeah, I hope you're having an awesome holiday season, and I'll talk to you soon. Wait, what? (laughs) I have never
0: heard this before. Thank you so much for calling in and letting me know, because it is... Absolutely true. You are 1000% correct. Apparently, The Corpse Bride is based on a a Russian Jewish folk tale. I need to dive more into this because I also haven't seen this movie in 100,000 years. But I am dying to rewatch it now. I'm a huge... Laika? Is that how you pronounce it? Laika, the uh, stop-motion animation studio behind the film. I love their work. Granted, this film does have Johnny Depp at the helm, who I try desperately to not support because of his actions, but I might have to rewatch this just because there is so little Jewish representation. And I- I'm happy to welcome this into the Hanukkah fold. If The Nightmare Before Christmas can be a Halloween and a Christmas season movie... Corpse Bride could be our Hanukkah film. Now, don't worry. Don't worry, Shrek's Emberheads. We are still going deep on Shrek this year and every subsequent year until we get him in a Hanukkah sweater at one of the Universal theme parks. Yada, 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 literally. But I would love to have more stuff to enjoy during the, I mean, Hanukkah's a week long, but we can stretch that baby out. I'm definitely going to watch this and let you know what I think. Thank you so much for calling and letting me know about this, because we have so few films. Again, we have Kronk, we have Shrek, and I guess Corpse Bride, and the Rugrats special, and the new Rugrats special. (laughs) That's mostly it. So, uh, I I can't wait to watch this again. Thank you so, so much. That's our show! Thank you all so much for listening and soaking up every detail of Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser right alongside me. You can keep this steady stream of fresh episodes very amusing going on your phone and devices by subscribing to us at Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to blast your pods. Thank you very much to Mary Did Laugh, Jess Allen, CM6390, and Bemnit Zane for your wonderful reviews. And if you, too, want a shout-out or simply to let other folks know how fun our little weekly audio party is, please, 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 please rate and review Very Musing on Apple Podcasts. I know, it's annoying to hear this at the end of all the podcasts you listen to, but it makes a huge difference, which I didn't know before I started doing this, and truly, just Plunking out a few sentences means the world, and I thank you so much in advance for doing so. And if you, I don't know, if you don't know what to say, just pretend it's a hamburger joint and compliment us on our perfectly crispy fries and that we have Diet Dr. Pepper on the fountain. We try to do right by our customers with the good soda, you know? You can find me, Carly Wisell, across the internet, but really mostly on Twitter and Instagram at CarlyWisell. You can also find my Facebook group, the Fomaly, at facebook.com/slash group slash And you can find a story I wrote about Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser for Bloomberg this week on one, if not all of those accounts. This podcast was edited overzealously by Jeff Fox. Thanks so much for listening. See you real soon.
5: Hey honey it's mom Robin Lopez from Orlando Magic this is so exciting who loves disney as much as you i didn't think there was anyone possible robin was so much fun i enjoyed all of the great and fun stories you guys between the two of you it was so much fun to listen to and the one thing that stuck in my mind for ben is that i can see you marrying goofy i was cracking up and then robin saying that Robin Hood is hot. That I was dying. It was so funny. Maybe it's because they have the same name. I don't know. Maybe they're both hot. I don't know. But my choice would be Flynn Ryder, because he is darling. But I did love the most because, you know, I am a Duffy fan. But I loved when you guys were talking about Duffy and Shelley May, like they're dating or not dating. Like, it was so great. And like, why aren't they dating like Mickey and Minnie? That was so much fun. I loved it so much. So I just want to tell you that you did mention in the commercial again about me dressing you up as Bride of Frankenstein. I just want you to know it was the cutest costume, and nobody was dressed like that. And there were all princesses. But I plan on finding that picture. That's my job this week, and posting it for Halloween. So. I just want to say great, great, great episode. I enjoyed it. I laughed. And I love you so much. Great job, honey. Call me. Bye.